Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. Hi everyone, my name is C, I use they them pronouns, and I play Oka Hien, Asamar blood hunter and monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V Noct Shurzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. You can also support us by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps immensely with getting new listeners to find us. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, death and killing, descriptions of gore, body horror, monsters and monstrosity, blood and bloodletting, children in dangerous situations but no child death or harm, scopophobia, falling, heights, and vast and unknowable depths. Arc 4, Episode 14 Murder by a Monstrous King From a Book by Martha Reed The throne room of the 800th and 87th Emperor serves as a magnificent wedding hall. Massive pillars, chiseled from pure sapphire, refract iridescent light from red lanterns floating throughout the hall, tethered to the marble ribs of the vaulted ceiling by thin silver strings. Rainbow light spackles onto the painted faces of two Longin nobles and dignitaries from the seven nations beyond the dream shield. Attendees kneel on crimson cushions before the raised dais at the end of the hall, craning their necks around to get a better look at the venue. A miasma of eager anticipation hangs in the air above the heads of no fewer than a hundred wedding guests. We see the elaborate headdresses of Tulongan nobility, coiling patterns of smoke coming from long-stemmed cigarettes, the manicured petals of colorful bouquets decorating the cornices. Up on the balcony level, we see nobles peering over lacquered banisters, sipping tea from cups of fine ceramic conversing in low tones. One of these nobles we see is a pale half-elf woman with shoulder-length hair and a smear of lavender lipstick. 
A dim red glow burns in her eyes, and despite the chill of fall, and now winter, she wears a crimson kind of off-shoulder robe, her collarbone decorated with layered teal bead necklaces. She flashes a smile at her tall half-orc bodyguard, and as she does so, we all see a flash of fangs, is it, maybe? But her bodyguard, excuse me, but her bodyguard <laughs> doesn't look perturbed by this at all. And we see this half-orc now, also striking, about 6'8", with gray skin and noticeable vitiligo. Their right tusk juts out at a visible angle. They have black hair shaved on the sides, kept very short on top. And her gray-green eyes scan the party below as she stands by this pale half-elf woman. Finally, we see this half-orc woman is carrying a five-foot-long double axe with four bladed heads uh, instead of the usual longsword and bow that most private guards carry. Finally, pan away from these two very interesting, cool-looking, unique characters and all the way up to the front of the wedding hall where the throne of the emperor herself is mounted atop that raised dais. It's a magnificent chair, currently empty, sculpted from pure silver, the emblems of four celestial beasts rising up behind it like spokes on a sunbeam. A shaft of misty light filters through a wood lattice window above the throne, casting a tenebrous shimmer over the entire platform. A silk scroll hangs behind the throne, the golden paper darkened with the two characters for double happiness, a traditional ornamentation for fortuitous marriage. Standing on one side of the throne are two fearbolts, the parents of Halo, dream-touched, the prophet of the palace. And standing on the other side of the throne are Queen Moa, the first wife of the emperor, Queen Ascendant, and her two youngest children, Princess Moa Hongbu and Prin Moa Ku. The Moors survey this hall with sharp yellow dragonborn eyes, and their collective gaze falls upon the fourth consort, Hien Arden, and her three children close to the front of the stage on the mezzanine level, kneeling on cushions along with everybody else. And we see Prin Mwaku leaning into their sister, whispering something inaudible into her ear, to which the princess snickers, covering a disdainful mouth with her fan. And as this excitement within the wedding hall builds and builds and builds, everyone's waiting for the happy groom and bride, we push past the moors, past the foreign dignitaries, past the royal guards in their silver radiating armor, past the noble sapphire pillars, past a wooden awning, a dusky vestibule, a flight of stone stairs, and out into a private garden, dappled with autumnal pollen and wild hedges, where we see a shadow lurking in the negative spaces between light, a hooded figure folded against the trunk of a red oak, bronze mask glinting in the eventide. Their hidden eyes are fixed on Emperor Zhen of Xiong, her imperial majesty, daughter of heaven, lord of 10,000 years, the dream blessed. The emperor's head is tilted up to the sky, their face unshielded by the heavy strings of pearls hanging from their lofty crown. She's watching the first snow of winter descend from the atmosphere and fall into the open cup of her outstretched palm. 
and that's when the Paragon Killer strikes. Silent as a whisper, the assassin unsheaths a golden chisel from the depths of their cloak. Tossing it into the air, they strike the back head with a plain silver hammer. And a noise like a singing bowl, a bell, a beautiful crystal vibrating in the ether rings out throughout the garden. Petals curl into a fist and fall down from a nearby chrysanthemum as the chisel pierces the emperor's back. The cutting edge of the stake shoots forward and lodges in the, into the trunk of a nearby hawthorn tree. The emperor staggers once, twice, blood spurting from their chest and onto the ground, splashing the first snow of winter with a crimson hue. That's when the paragon killer emerges from the shadows, holding their hammer, their boots crunching over packed earth. Silver chisels rise into the air behind them, forming a deadly halo around their hooded head. This was meant to be. This was always meant to be. Except, let's dance, bitch. And as the emperor turns around, we see that their eyes change color from brown to blue, double pupils blooming in either iris, their own spilt blood rising in perfect red strings around them. And that's when the paragon killer, uh, pauses? This, this was not foretold. And as it turns out, that single split second of hesitation matters. As the snow-kissed ground underneath the assassin's feet explodes. Bone lances shoot out of the dirt, each the size of a tree branch, as sharp and jagged as the ends of cracked, split femurs. This was the trap laid by Oka, the Emperor, and the Third Spouse working in continuum. Ruler Rao Bai Liang, a bone magician of unrivaled skill. We see a flash now as the bone lances burst out of the ground. We see a flash of the previous night. A silver tiefling with short, curly black hair, seeding the ground with fragments of marrow and molar. And these fragments now smash out of the earth, spearing their way toward the Paragon Killer. They're gonna have to make a deck save. That's literally an out one. I'm literally not even kidding. Uh, so they fail. Uh, I think we see the Paragon Killer do like at first like a back handspring, right? Out of the way, like out of the erupting earth, uh, dodging these spears of bone left and right, twirling, spinning. You see them kick off of one lance to avoid another. They're like doing these acrobatic maneuvers, but then the bone spurs, they're moving way too fast. There's just too many of them and they're too, they're too quick. And one punches up and slashes their arm. They stagger and another punches up and gashes their leg. They stagger again. And finally a third one punches out of the earth behind them and chisels into their side and they uh, and you see a spear and like lance through their gut right and they are going to take because it was a nat one uh uh 44 points of piercing damage and another uh 16 points of necrotic damage oka roll initiative fuck right i will let's go Okay, not so good, but that's fine. That's fine. I don't need a good initiative. That was my good initiative for seven total. Okay, with a seven, you're going to go after the Paragon Killer. Uh, they are going to stagger. Uh, and you see like blood, like sort of like lacing around like the exposed bleached white bone that's like speared through their gut. Uh. Oh, there is something that I can do, uh, which doesn't have to do with a turn. As that happens, Oka is going to go ahead and activate their brand of castigation on this motherfucker. So as they bleed, uh, the blood that was circling around Oka just kind of goes 
taut for a moment uh, and kind of straps them both together, which means that now every time they damage me, they are going to deal damage equal to my intelligence modifier to themselves as psychic damage. Wow, okay, yeah, as these, these like blood tethers like tighten and straighten around the two of you, like pulling on each other like bungee cords, they're gonna uh, grunt. And even though you can't see their face, you get the feeling they're scowling, right? And they staggered forward and like basically like limp off of the spike that was like impaled through their back. <sighs> you, of course it's you again. What are you sad to see me? On the contrary, I wanna get the job done with my own hand. And they're gonna sort of like hold out their hammer as like two chisels like swirl downward and bing, bing, ringing out as clear as a bell, they smack both chisels like in one fluid motion with their hammer. So that is going to be a deck save. 18. That makes it actually, uh, that makes the DC. So you are not gonna take any damage at all. So describe to me what it looks like as the chisels like fly through the air. Maybe they smack several and they're turning and they're like, like maybe maneuvering around like the bone, like spears that are still like bur bursting out of the earth and they're smacking them at you. Yeah, I think it's a combination of uh, the bone spears coming up and like just fucking like deflecting them, like hitting them like up and out of the air and just they go ping, ping, like off in different directions. And if any actually get close to Oka, this, th their own blood that had been like spilled just like moments before, like rises up and like shields them, like it, like sinking through water, you know, but the water like catches it and they just drop to Oka's feet. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like, like a moment, almost like like a bending, <laughs> like like a fight sequence, right? As they're like bing, 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 hitting these chisels one after the other, and you're you're deflecting them with um, culling edge, with culling edge, uh, and with the I have animate blood active, and I have the bone shards active. Yep. Uh, so like yeah, and like the blood is like catching it and like dropping it off to the side. You're redirecting it. You're like deflecting, and you see the chisels that get deflected like sort of fly back through the air back toward their hammer, and they hit it again. And they're just sort of like bam. Like I think you see them jump up into the air and like hop off of like the edge of a bone spur and like come down at you like with that, this hail of chisels like around the back of their head. They go ah, bam, and they're gonna smack like the the blunt end of the chisel yet again at you. But you like deflect the final one. What does it look like as they're like coming down on you and they like poof like hit the ground trying to hit you? Oka, I think just like the like the blood comes up and they like hit it on top and they have to just like throw them down and off. I think. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, you deflect it with your arm. Bam! The blood boom, pings that final chisel aside and they they like hit the ground next to you. Uh, and that's going to be the end of their turn. It's now your turn. They're within melee. <laughs> well, that was a horrible idea on their part. First of all, I would like to rage. Okay. So I'll use my bonus action to start raging, but it's quieter. I think that it's ever been before. The rage is focused. Like they don't roar. The electricity doesn't come like crackling up their arms. Oka just like takes a moment as this person like thumps to the ground next to them. They look up, look them dead in the fucking eyes. You wanna play? Let's play. And I am going to culling edge, uh, I'll attack twice. So I'll just roll both of those right now. Okay, that is a unnatural 20, and the second is a 16. Neither hit. Neither hit? Nope. Uh, you can still deal damage, though, because that's how we're doing combat. So deal damage as usual, but they get a reaction against you. Okay, fine. That's fine. Let me get all my damage dice out. Uh, the first one is going to be 24 points of slashing damage with, let's see, two points of fire damage. Uh, and the second is going to be... 18 points of slashing and five points of fire. Okay, so what does it look like? 
I think they do the same thing as they did before, where the blood sword just kind of like they like toss their hand up, sort of like they just make an up motion, and the entire sword just lifts up and all the way off their arm, so it's not even connected to them. They grab the hilt and they just like in that same motion come swinging down like twice across like wh- twice across the chest, real fast immediately. I like that. I think they like. I think they're kneeling on the ground as you like slash down at them and they like throw out like a gloved hand. Uh, several chisels come forward to like block it, but you just smack like the chisels right aside, like floating off to the ground and like bam, you slash once across their chest and bam, slash once across their chest again with this like flaming blood sword. They stagger backward right from where they're kneeling. Anything else? That is my entire turn. That was two attacks and a bonus action. So that's it. Okay. Yeah, they're sort of, uh, they've got like gashes open on their leather armor. You know what I mean? Like they're, they've got their chest is ripped open. They've got like, their right arm still seems a little like stuck from where you stabbed them like a week ago, right? And now they're bleeding all over from the bone spurs and they quickly like stagger up and like away from you, right? Um, and I think they're like evading in such a way that even if you wanted to make an opportunity attack, you can't. Uh, and because you, yeah, that's, they're using their action to disengage from you. Uh, but they get to use their reaction at the end of your turn to they sort of whirl around and you see those chisels like um, fly back into the halo and shoot at you. So I need you to make another deck save. 21 this time. Jesus, okay, yeah, that save uh, doesn't deal any damage. So uh, yeah, do you just sort of like disdainfully like use your blood sword to bing, bing, like deflect those two chisels? Yep, both of them off to either side, where I think like they passed like just just over Oka's ears enough to make them like ripple, you know, but not enough to actually hit them. Just like the tiniest little deflections. They pull themselves to a full stand and they're panting really hard and you see they're bleeding. You know, they do not look good. The trap and the damage you've just dealt them has been pretty um, considerable. And as they pant there, right, you see like their breath coming out of like the nostrils of the bronze mask, like curling up in this like cold winter air. They address you and they say, so this is uh, the power of a demigod, huh? No, this is just how fucking mad I am. (laughs) Why? Why do you use your power to fight me? Hmm? Why do you use yours to try to fucking kill me? Don't you agree that this whole place is wrong? And the Paragon Killer gestures outward with their hammer, right? Indicating the palace. Like, too long. All of it. You, exiled for no fault of your own, cast out by those you would consider family simply because they had what? Power? They wanted more power? You think that's just? No. No, I don't think that's fucking just. But if you think that Queen Moa stands for everything that this world is or could be, then you are lost. And I have no fucking hope for you. No. You are the one who is lost. Power corrupts. That's all it does. As long as there is power on this earth, power in Andake, as long as people can wield it, evil will occur and evil must be rooted out. So what about you then? Are you uncorruptible or do you speak from experience? I do what needs to be done. I would like to explode my animated blood now. This would be on my action, so I don't know if it's my turn yet, but when it is, if it is, 
They have to make a dex save. I can use an action to explode one of my animated blood. I have five active right now, is how many uh, HP I took off off the top at the beginning of the session. Um, yeah, so just go ahead and make me a dex save. Because that was their action. They used their action to disengage. Uh, does a 14 do it? No, it's a 15. Uh, so they are going to take 66 necrotic damage for me. Really quick. Don't mind me. I'm just going to roll that. Uh, 20 points of necrotic damage. Yep. As uh, one of the, like, blood... I think that's just, like, hovering in the air. There are these, like, bone shards and these blood shards. One of them just, like explodes outward and it's like the same thing that Oka was doing with like the ice like putting it up to the bowl to talk to Dr. Eluso like manipulating it it just turns sharp uh, and that's that same lances that just go uh, rain down above the Paragon Killer now. Yeah I think as the bone and blood lances rain down they sort of throw up their chisels to dodge it or like to block it and the chisels like deflect some of the spears, but others just jab into them. Like little like crimson needles. Oh, and they stagger backward, right? And they're like breathing really hard and they look up at you. And I think like on the the bone and blood spears coming down and them looking up, we're gonna pan upward to the balcony level uh, of the wedding hall. Inside the royal wedding hall, which is the throne room transformed, we pan up to the feathered face of one Cardu Dewey quirk. Dewey, I think you're in like a balcony area, mostly by yourself. Uh, there's like a couple of other nobles around you, uh, but they're they're like talking amongst each other, kind of ignoring you. And you're sort of like by like the lacquered banister. You can see the entire mezzanine level, all these beautiful cushions, all these like floating red lanterns, all these sapphire pillars refracting light, the empty throne room on one end of the hall. It's a massive hall, by the way, like absolutely freaking huge. You're looking down, looking out at the crowd. What are you up to? What's going through your mind? He's got, like, a notebook out, and he's pretending to, like, he's still trying to keep up, like, the biographer facade. And so he's, like, he's got this notebook out and his pen ready, um, but he's certainly not really writing anything of interest. He's more, like, scanning below, um, watching people file in, and, like, keeping tabs on his friends, looking for anything suspicious that's not wedding-like going on. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think I said there were about 100 attendees in here. I'm going to wreck on that. There are several hundred attendees in this hall. That's how big the throne room is. It's it's freaking massive. It's like the size of like a uh, like a theater, right? Um, do we just make a perception check for me then, in that case? Seven. <laughs> uh, you do, maybe like in the, in the wee distance, you hear like Oka screaming, fuck! But like, no, like it, it gets like muffled by like the crowd and like Dewey doesn't catch it. But you do hear footsteps approaching you from behind. And these footsteps are not trying to disguise themselves. Like, and they sound like friendly and like coming up. Uh, maybe you turn around and you see Kilohana. Kilohana. Uh, she's sort of dressed up in this like, you know, like nice, like Tsilongan garb, right? She's like swapped out her, um, I think, Uhanian style of dress to fit in here. And she like smiles at some of the other nobles on her way in. And she's wearing this beautiful pearl necklace on her like incandescent, like glowing bronze tiefling skin, right? She approaches you and says, ah, Cardu, hi. Hi, you look so much better. Oh. You healed up well. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's what you mean. Oh, uh, thank you. I just wanted to... <sighs> I know Tarnak and I said that we're probably going to be sitting the festivities out, but we're both actually making quite a good recovery, and I just wanted to find you in here, and everyone's so friendly, and just thank you for letting us into the palace. Yes, of course. Dewey, Dewey is um, surprised to see Kilohana and is also like trying to keep eyes on the level below and mm -hmm. trying to get this conversation 
over with. Yeah, totally. She actually, she like, like indicates the empty seat next to you. Uh, but before you can like say this is taken or not, she sits down. She like kneels down next to you. Uh, she says, she doesn't seem to notice or if she does notice you like looking kind of uncomfortable and like surveying the crowd. She doesn't seem to care. She seems to be very like um, exuberant. And she says, you know, Cardu, weddings always make me think of my own marriage. Don't they make you think of yours? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, only good things. Uh, only happiness. <laughs> well, the good parts, but also the hard parts. Oh, I'm I'm not talking about my marriage to Tarnock. Um, I'm talking about my marriage to my ex-husband. <sighs> he was such an ambitious, driven person. We butted heads a lot, uh, but at the end of the day, we loved each other, right? He loved me, I loved him. Uh-huh. She sort of like sighs and it seems she's like a look of a nostalgia comes over her face and she puts her like arms up on like the banister and like looks down at the empty throne at like the families of like the two uh, a couple to be. She says, but he didn't appreciate what was truly important in life until it was gone. Neither of us did, Cardu. Our son, Garha. Remember? I told you about him. Such a strong surfer, and then Mahu's waves took him. At this, uh, Dewey breaks his gaze from the lower level. He's like, I remember you telling me about that. You know, Cardu, I don't think I ever told you my ex-husband's name. His name was Orhan. Orhan Ting. And I'm gonna use the autocrit. As you feel a blinding pain course through your body and your nerves seize up and like your feathers go taut and your muscles like tighten. And Kilohana is still like with her gaze looking out at like the banquet hall, like not even really looking at you, still with this look of nostalgia on her face. You know, Cardu, the tea I've been feeding you every time you came over, it's laced with a slow acting neurotoxin. She turns to you and smiles. You know, thanks again for letting us into the palace. We never could have pulled this off without you. I thought we'd have to be a little pushy, but you just offered. And she lifts her hand up and like a, an eye sigil glows on her wrist, a sigil that was sort of covered up by the incandescent glowing of her skin. And she speaks into her wrist. Tarnak, I have Galtanger, he's on the balcony. How's the emperor coming along? Oh, and she lowers her wrist and looks at you. And thanks oh, for letting shit. us know oh, who the biggest what? threats are. Manaya, right? Oh, silly me, you can't talk right now. And she stands up as your body's still frozen, like in that kneeling position. And like all the nobles around you don't know what's going on, right? You're just frozen there. She stands up slowly. She oh. reaches into her robes, pulls out like several vials of like, of just liquid, like black void liquid teeming in these vials. And sort of like like a flower girl scattering petals, like in front of a wedding procession. She just gently throws the vials out. And we our eyes are on the vials as they like arc through the air, right? And they smash, 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 onto like various parts of the wedding hall. And then the monsters come. So Manaya, I need you to make a strength save against a DC 27. That's gonna be a 16, I'll use one inspiration. Okay. One more inspiration. Okay. Well, fuck. <laughs> okay, what's the total? 
Nine plus eight is 17. Yeah. Ugh, no, I think you would have had to roll like a 19 or a 20 to yep. be able to make the safe. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, and I took the autocrit away from you. Okay. Uh, so what happens? Manaya, you're chilling, right? Uh, you're kneeling on one of the many cushions, like strewn across this hall, maybe like attentive with your ax with you, like looking around, ready for like any sign of danger. Uh, so why don't, like, right before chaos hits, why don't you, like, give us a glimpse of what Manaya is up to? Manaya is engaging in half-friendly conversation with the eighth wife, Liu Bai Shur, right? Yes. 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 Remembered it without even looking it up. <laughs> um, telling her, engaging in friendly conversation about the last time Manaya was uh, kneeling on cushions when she was visiting her mother's home island and there was a, a percussion ensemble playing on bronze instruments and listening to her responses, but her eyes never meet her the eighth wives. Her left hand keeps twitching at every little movement. And as your like left hand continues twitching, your like white gaze sort of like sweeping around this hall. You, you, I think you suddenly feel a massive force and weight. Just bam, pummel into your back like a freaking tow truck hitting you. Like, boom. And I think what your missed save means is that you just go flat. You go prone on the ground from this, right? And everyone from around Manaya will see a tiny little vial filled with like inky black liquid spiraling through the air and then just splash perfectly onto the center of Manaya's back, right? Just splash open against uh, her leaf cape and as glass shards explode and this like uh, black inky substance like sort of ricochets outward, it uh, organic matter starts spiraling up and out uh, immediately upon contact, upon release. And we see like uh, spiraling ribbons of flesh and bone rot their way out of the vial. And we see a big, like, sharp clawed hand come out. And another one just, like, unravels and spins and comes out as well. And we see, like, a big bulging torso sort of balloon outward like a mushroom cloud. And then, like, a massive tail, bam, like, slap onto the ground and then slither and form. And, like, people start screaming. Uh, people start screaming as this tail like slaps onto the marble floor and uh, unlaces. And then we see a huge neck come up uh, and end uh, like forming this like face uh, out of just like thin air of flesh stitching together to form this like open, bawling, screaming, bald face. As uh, the face stealer uh, ripples into existence uh, and pins Manaya down underneath its six legs. You feel like a massive weight as this thing, bam, just like slams you onto the ground. You hear uh, the eighth consort scream. She screams uh, next to you as she's like knocked like aside, like by this huge tail coming out. And you see her like fly through the air. But that's the last you see as you're, bam, pinned to the ground. And this massive weight is like pressing down upon your back. And V. <laughs> Let's hit pause, rewind a bit, go to V right before where this happened. Where are you and what are you doing? I'm over... Kind of on the opposite side from Dewey, I think, if I remember correctly. Just, I found a random seat approximately 500 feet from the wedding ceremony itself. Uh, found an empty seat by, uh, we'll say it's some, like, it's some prince, it's some children of, let's say, like, the seventh consort, just chillaxing. 
Uh, I struck up a conversation acting like I've known them for years. Okay, perfect. Are you also on the balcony level or in the me mezzanine? I was on the mezzanine. Okay. You're in the middle of telling one of these children about like one of your like made up exploits, right? Or something. Maybe it's mm -hmm. not made up embellished. When uh, you notice coming down from the balcony, just like these, like they look like little like black stars or something falling down. You look up, you're like, what is that? And you realize a little too late that they're vials. And maybe like your eye, your miscolored eyes like fix on one of them as it twirls through the air. And you see like this black inky void liquid sloshing through the interior and your heart just drops and plummets into your stomach. And then all the vials hit the ground and smash open and monsters spawn. It's just as Kilohana had described it uh, during the staged attack uh, on her house that you rescued her and Tarnak from. These monsters just sort of explode out of nowhere in like a puff of black smoke and flesh and squishing noises. They start growling. You see like a, like where one vial smashes onto the ground near you, like a dozen chicken boys just spawn and like pop into the air like spores. They start running amok and immediately start attacking people. And screams begin to fill the hall. In uh, one side you see like a spiraling mass of like limbs and hands and like the center of this coiling mass of shadowy hands. You see a big gnawing teeth laced with poison and you get a flashback to maybe leaning over a ledge and blasting something you can't see with magic, right? Um, you see that huge, the face stealer like just unravel into existence on top of Manaya. Uh, and you also see these like fleshy gummy creatures covered in teeth uh, and they're bristling sort of like por porcupines and as they lance into existence uh, their bristles like ripple 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 and they start boop, 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 shooting like tooth spears and like tooth crossbows everywhere uh, and you also feel the weave tighten around you as something invisible and huge seems to crash through like the hall as well. And people are like pinned to the ground by something you can't see as presumably also a Hydra Flare is in play here. So V, Dewey, and Manaya roll initiative. Dewey with disadvantage. I was a 10. Six. Okay. <laughs> I got a 12. A 12. Okay. Wow. Dewey, even with disadvantage, goes first. Actually, no, Kilohana goes first because y'all's initiative rolls were kind of bad. Okay. So what's going to happen first is Kilohana just sort of turns to you, Dewey. She's still on the balcony. She looks down at you as screams begin to balloon up like chaos begins to just descend upon the wedding hall as monsters spawn and start attacking people. She looks down at you. She sort of like squats down, actually, and like like leans forward so you can see her face because you're paralyzed to the spot. And she has this look of almost like pity on her face, right? She like tilts it to the side and looks at you. She reaches forward and actually like cups, cups the side of your face, like with like these almost like gentle fingers and like strokes down like your feathered cheek. And she says, I feel sorry for you, Dewey. I really do. You're on the wrong side here. It's not too late to switch. Oh, silly me, you can't talk. How about this? Uh, when I'm done with your friends, and I have their god shards in those, what do you call them, god jars? Great idea, by the way. We were just going to kill you all. Uh, but your innovation, wow. We just had to go with it. So thank you for that. Uh, once we have all of your friends' uh, souls stitched into god jars, and of course the shards of various gods attached to them, we'll talk. Hang tight. And she gets up, she steps onto the balcony, onto the banister, and just jumps down, right? And she like disappears out of your view. We're gonna pan over this like chaos in like slow-mo, as we see like tooth spitters like shivering and like 
with like teeth launching through the air and like hitting people, right? We see like royal guards like going for their long swords, right? As like one guy's like reaching for his long sword trying to draw it out, like a bunch of chicken boys jump up and they like bam, 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 lash onto him and like bowl him over. Uh, we see like uh, the invisible Hydra flare, like like knock like a like four different guards like into the air and they slam into sapphire pillars and like like slide down and Kilohana like like floats down onto the ground, lands lightly, straightens herself up, runs like a hand through her like tangled brown hair and starts walking very calmly through the chaos, right? Like very calm, like in like slow motion as like a chair flies through the air as like another person like flies. She just sort of like like ducks, you know, like and then like moves forward and then just like gently turns as like like things, objects, people like smash past her. And she is walking toward the dais, the throne, where we see like uh, Halo's parents and also Queen Moa are being ushered out. Like royal guards are like running to their side and like ushering them out of, of like the way, right? But she's like walking, she doesn't seem perturbed by anything. And we, as she's walking, we also see off to the side, Kane. Uh, Kane, who is also in this uh, congregation, uh, this midnight-skinned tiefling, we see them like leap up into the air, like they're like like running, like almost in midair, like over like several like fallen people's like bodies, and they like land gently next to the Hien family, right? And Arden and Toya and Liangya and Yaya are terrified. They don't know what's happening. There's chaos all around them, and then we like poof, like hit like play again, like in regular time, like when Kane lands next to like Oka's family, and Kane just sort of goes, "We have to go now." Follow me. Uh, and they scoop Yaya up, who's who's like, what's happening? Wait, are these monsters? I want to fight. I want to fight. Let me at them. And Kane's going, no. Shh. And Kane like taps the side of Yaya's forehead. Uh, and Yaya just goes limp, right? And like falls asleep in Kane's like grasp. And Kane goes, come on, what are we waiting for? Let's go. And they turn and begin to like run through the chaos. And um, Arden nods and starts like moving her wheelchair. And uh, Liangya and Toya also start running like after Kane, like into safety, away from the hall, right? And then we see Kilohana finally like, step up onto the dais, right? Turn around to face the chaos. Like we see like blood spurting through the air, like flesh flying, right? Gouge marks just like going. She smiles, like surveying this chaos she's created. And then she like sits down on the emperor's throne. Uh, and then next to go is gonna be Dewey. Uh, so Dewey, I need to make a con save. I'm gonna use it, uh, one of my <laughs> inspiration. Okay. So I rolled a two. Okay. Um, 21. 21. I'll give you a choice. You can either fight through the paralysis uh, with a bonus action and like start doing stuff, but you have to take some damage. Or you don't take any damage at all, but you're going to have to like seed your turn and come back to you next, next turn to fight through it without damage. Uh, I will fight through it. I'm surprised I haven't taken damage yet. So. Okay. All right. Let's have fun. Uh, you are going to take, let's see. 32 points of poison damage uh, for you to fight through it. So describe me what it looks like and how Dewey's like doing and feeling as you're like forcing your body to like power through this debilitating neurotoxin. I think after the initial shock of having this happen to him, having his first adult friends turn against him, he like starts to move and then he like falls to the ground because he's not used to what it feels like. And then he pulls himself back up with the um, railing on the edge of the balcony. Mm -hmm. He pulls himself up to look over the edge. And how far is it to the throne? 80 feet. Dewey's just going to let himself fall back down to the ground and then cast invisibility. Okay. All right. So what does it look like as like you disappear from sight? I think he slides down to the ground and it's he sort of just like 
no one really sees him in this corner of the balcony because there's so much going on. And he sort of just like fades into the floor. And then he pulls himself back up to look over the balcony and ready himself. Because mm, actually, he's going to hop over the railing. Okay. And like, I assume like you fly down and you're going to fly mm-hmm. toward the throne. Okay. Yes. While invisible, it's bedlam. This is absolute fucking mayhem all around you. It's like you're at, in like a war scenario, just like zero to a hundred like that uh, is what Kiloha has created. And you're just like weaving your way through just like insane shit happening. You see like people are, people are starting to fight back. Uh, the monsters got like the initial surge, the initial like bam, like hit you real hard. Um, but I mean, this is a throne room full of the most powerful people in Indake, right? Foreign dignitaries. As you sort of are skittering invisible, like hiding yourself, cloaking yourself from danger through like the crowd, you see Toktoa Kagan in the exact opposite of you. She actually jumps up, uh, like, like strains herself like completely, right? Like holds out like a like a hand wordlessly as all this chaos begins and you see shimmering into existence into her hand is that um, composite bow that you saw her walk into, like strapped to her back. It's apparently some sort of magical bow. And she's gonna put two fingers up to her mouth and whistle. And you hear like a as I'm shouting from like guards being like, ah, whoa, hey, as like you see like a horse, like just charge in through like the open front doors. And like it tramples over several chicken boys, like underfoot, like stomps on them and squashes them to flesh, right? As it like a war horse, right? It neighs and it's like foaming at the mouth and it looks like excited, right? As like Toktoa Kagan, it runs, it doesn't slow down as it charges through the group, but she jumps up and like swings herself onto the saddle like as it's running right and she sort of like um stands up in the saddle in the stirrups uh and like pulls like uh you don't see her like like knock an arrow or anything she just pulls on the string as she like pulls it back you see like like four arrows shimmer into existence like against the bow and she lets it go and each one of them hits like a chicken boy directly in the head like on different side like on different sides of of the hall like bing 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 and they all like they fall into the ground and like discorporate into fleshy puddles and she starts like like riding her horse around and just like continuing to shoot at like invisible and visible creatures right and she's like letting out like a war cry as like other Kyrian riders draw their scimitars and start running into the fray and like attacking the monsters with her and she's letting out a shout being like protect the elder uh and like like jerking her head towards Selim, who's like cutting through the crowd and running toward elder pohaku uh rao rao pohaku who's the elder of morose um dewey that's what you see Kind of like standing in stark difference to what you're doing uh, is what <laughs> is Otakto and Kagan has decided to do. Is that your turn? I believe that's all I can do. Okay, we are now going to go to V. V is going to be looking at everything that's going on, all of this chaos. She's going to see uh, Kilohana sitting on the throne. Which is a weird, that's a weird thing. V doesn't know what happened, but seeing seeing her on the throne is like, that's not right. Um, so I think, in regardless of everything that's happening, V's going to pull out Campbell, and she's going to pull out a card, and, oh God, okay, oh God. I know, which one are you going to pick? So it was the star. But here's the deal is in order to cast that, I need to touch the person that, I, that I'm thinking of. You got to run up to her, right? Yes. 
But the thing is, I'm like 500 feet away, so I can't dimension door and do this thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get up to her, maybe talk to her. <laughs> what if V reaches down Scott Nectus? <laughs> I'm willing to push some luck here so I can maybe get this done here. Oh my god! <gasps> Okay, you're gonna beseech Scott and Nectus again for help so you can like cast yes. two spells, right? On one turn? Yep. Mm hmm. Okay, roll a d20. I'm gonna use an inspiration. Okay. Use one more inspiration. <laughs> Ooh, that's both. Oh, gosh. Uh, apparently, fate wants me to have an 11. Okay, read out to me what an 11 means. That means I've gotta take some consequences. Um. <laughs> Let's see. So on the 2 to 19, you're God's help, but I either have to promise something or it creates trouble as well. So the GM will describe consequences, and it sounds like you described two consequences. On a 20, I only have to pick one of them. On a 1, chaos happens and even worse things happen. So I did an 11, so I have to pick. There's two consequences that need to happen from this. Okay, uh, so you both need to promise something and something bad's gonna happen too, right? That's <laughs> what that means? Okay, because you're pushing your luck and you're not turning in a favor? Okay, so as you beseech, you reach down into the, the deep bowels of your soul and you draw upon Scott and Nectus, who you feel are like rising to the occasion. They rise up to meet you, right? And like, what do you, like, you, you reach out to them for help and you hear Scott go, ha, it's about time, girly. Let's wreck shit. Uh, and Nectus goes, uh, 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 but there's always a cost. V, you have to promise us. Whatever your greatest, deepest love is willing to sacrifice for you, you have to be willing to sacrifice for her too. Yes, I promise that. And you feel like the threads of the weave cling tight to your heart and pull as if you're just a gush of magic swirl around you like purple and green uh, light and red light. Like swirl around your hair and like your, your uh, white hair starts flapping like crazy, like all around you, like a flag. Uh, as you can do both of the things you want to do, I will describe the consequences right after. So for now, describe me what it looks like. So V, you see like V calculating, like it's almost like that moment where like bump, 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 and like connecting all the dots, and then she locks in on Kulahana and just dimension doors right there, right beside her. And she looks down at, she's standing beside her, she's on the throne, she's, the bee's kind of looking down a little bit and being like, I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it, but you've got exactly one second to tell me what your, what your plan is here, or I am sending you very, very far away. <laughs> Paragon of Scott and Nectus, I'm honored. Actually, V. Noxcherzo, you were supposed to be me. Adam really, really liked you. You know, wanted you to become the speaker of the chrysalis. But there was a vacancy after Dabathati. You're God's damn right there was, and V casts Plane Shift, throws the card at uh, Kilohana. Uh, it's a melee attack, so there's okay. still a chance she, she stays here. Okay, make the attack, make the attack. I'm gonna use, I've got, I've got a luck point. I'm gonna use a luck point. God, why am I rolling only 11s? God. <laughs> what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get? Wait, no, I fucking read that wrong. That's, no, that's a, that's a 14. 
Okay, it will work, but there will be... I'm gonna put the two consequences together of quote unquote a miss and also Scott and Nectus into one, okay? Uh, right. It's gonna be a big old consequence. Uh, so what does it look like as he casts Plane Shift on her? The card like lights up in this and she throws it and it like hits Kilohana like right in the chest. And there's just like this green and purple explosion of like a star pattern all around her. And it just like swirls around for like a brief moment. You get this cool moment. And then all of a sudden the stars just collide on her. And it's like she just like mm. sucks into herself. Like, like a black like hole her. collapsing in on itself as she starts to fold in. She cocks her head as she, like her essence begins to swirl in on itself. And she <laughs> uh, laughs as she throws out a hand. And you see her incandescent skin on her arm crack open. And it begins to sort of peel off her skin in these beautiful bronze ribbons, revealing not flesh, not blood, not bone underneath, but swirling, inky, black void. Void that shoots forward in sharp lances and wrap around you and pull you in as well. So that's the consequence you both plane shift. And V and Kilohana vanish from sight. Perfect. Just what I love. Manaya. You are pinned underneath a massive creature. You can feel its six claws digging into your enormous back, rending, blinding pain as these dagger-sharp knives of nails just rake against your back through the cape of leaves, right? That shimmer iridescently as violence is wrought upon your back. And I need you to take 12 points of slashing damage and another 20 points of poison damage. Uh, as the face stealer's uh, toxic claws rake into you. You're prone. What do you do? To an outsider, it looks like the face stealer envelops Manaya. You can barely see her as this like goopy worm-like presence starts enveloping her. And she's on her hands and knees and then just her arms holding herself up. She's got her arms out and then she falls to one arm. She blinks and her eyes glow bright iridescent green and orange the colors of leaves as i'm gonna do two things at once she opens her mouth and just as before on her tongue is a glowing inscribed maple leaf and she says with words laced with magic fall and her crown of leaves and her leaf cape both react as they glow and the leaves shrivel into beautiful golden browns of fall as opponents within melee range or something get blasted back 10 feet. Okay. Yeah, as this glowing light uh, surrounds you, poof, there's almost like a sonic wave as like the face, uh, the face stealer sort of like its chest like concaves inward. And it's a large creature. It's real big. It's Two, three or four times your size poof, flies up into the air and like bam like lands onto the ground and like there's like a screeching noise as its claws rake over the marble floor like gouge up chunks of marble as it like like stands there like it's big like neck lashing and like the the head the bald head at the end of its neck lets out like a human like wail the second thing that well the second two things that i'm gonna do i'm gonna use half my movement speed to get up from prone manaya is going to activate fey presence as she lifts herself up and floats just an inch off the ground, I'm not going to my movement speed or anything, but she floats about an inch off the ground, hair 
going everywhere, wind just whipping around in this new mini environment created by the crown of leaves, her eyes glowing as she glows and floats off the ground. And she looks over to the face stealer. If Manaya was a barbarian, she would be raging right now. Her muscles are tense and Manaya doesn't even reach for her axe. It's, it swivels from her back straight into her hands. And she uses the, some more of her movement speed to sort of almost float towards the face stealer. And she says, well, you don't have any souls in you, which means I don't have to hold back this time. And Manaya casts Thunderwave. And she reaches into her soul, knowing that the last time she cast Thunderwave was not a good time. And she says, princess, you let people die in Oberon. They were in trouble. The people here are in trouble. Do not make the same mistake twice. Manaya, and you hear this voice blooming up from the depths of your soul, swirling with petals and breezes and all of the different pollens of autumn and winter and spring and summer. And you hear her say, for the first time in a long time, you have not spoken to the princess in quite some time. Manaya, I, I still need to talk, but for now, do what you do best protect them and you feel this like the weave tighten in your soul and then vibrate with like almost like electricity and like this like thunderous force as boom thunder wave explodes out of you what does it look like the winds that were whipping around uh, sort of stop and uh, violently compress towards Manaya as she gets close to this face dealer and she goes right into the middle of its body and she takes a step down onto the ground and at that step, the compressed wind around her explodes in a violently loud boom that deals... It's a save, right? Like a con or a deck save or something? It's a con save. Okay. Against? 16. It does fail. Uh, so you can deal full damage. 14. Okay. Plus wood... The extra damage from the uh, the crown of leaves taken to uh, affect a spell's damage? Uh, yeah, let's say why not. Yeah, go for it. Okay. In that case, it takes an extra two necrotic damage. So 16 total. And it gets pushed back 15 feet. Thunderous like force sweeps out around you and just smashes into the face stealer. And like you see, it's like, uh, it's like pushed backward and like rakes its claws against the ground, like kicking up these like gutters of like dirt and marble and stone flooring. And like another 15 feet, did you say? 10 feet? 15. 15 feet, it smashes into a nearby sapphire pillar, right? With such force that poof, like you see like ding, like a clear ringing noise reverberates all the way up to the top of the pillar. And like the sapphire glow seems to like glimmer. Manaya, I think, has used, I'm going to say, all of her movement at this point, but she is going to uh, start walking towards the face dealer as her, her turn ends. Okay, yeah, your you're showdown number two, Manaya versus face dealer, yet again. Yeah, the face dealer sort of, like, tosses its big head, like, off to the side, and it, like, like cranes its, like, neck up and lets out a, like, kind of like a wailing, crying, human-like noise as it, like, shakes off, like, getting thrown back. You see, like, maybe some electricity, some, like, the leaves just, like, like fluttering off of its body as it <laughs> turns around to face you completely. Uh, and as we pan away from, like, uh, the face stealer, I think we see in the rest of the hall 
People are getting wrecked by some invisible force. There's something massive and unseen that is just tossing guards like rag dolls through the air. People are like, you see like a person like hunched up against like a pillar, like holding like a cushion over their head, like rocking back and forth and like praying to like Meng Shenzhi, right? You see like a groups of like servants who are trapped by like, uh, I think a piece of like the roofing that fell down from like various like tooth attacks that have just gone haywire. They're like trapped and they can't move. And one of them is like trapped underneath a bit of rubble. People are like running past them. It's chaos. And this Hydra flare is just wrecking people's shit. And then we see in the middle of the hall, Oka Hien stands up calmly, is the one member of the Hien family who has not gone with Kane to safety. And we see Oka sort of like roll their shoulders backward and turn around calmly to face this like scene of invisible bedlam. And then they like put out like a stone gray drought hand and they sweep it out in the air in front of them horizontally. And as they do, the emperor's disguise wears off as like Oka ripples downward, becomes taller uh, and becomes like the image of their mother father, right? This human, human-looking person uh, with three pupils in one eye, one pupil in the other, their eyes are mismatched, and these, like, like, imperial robes sweep down, and as they, like, pull their hand across the air, we see a jung also ripple into existence, this, like, stringed instrument, right, just floating in midair. That's the spitting image of Huan Usoi's instrument in the Dream Shield. And the emperor, Emperor Zhen of Xiong, rakes her nails across the Gujang and like a clear cord of magic just sweeps across the arena. And as this cord of magic like sweeps down the hall, it reveals the Hydra Flare. It washes its invisibility off as like water going over like a boulder. The invisibility comes off and it ripples into existence. And we see uh, eight necks, huge, thick, ginormous, like wiggling and sprawling, ending in these like bald, like contorted faces, uh, huge muscular claws, this like fleshy torso, these back hind clawed uh, feet as well. It looks a lot bigger, uh, Manaya and Dewey, than the last time you saw one of its kind, I think, in the court. Almost like it's been improved. Uh, you see that uh, instead of just having a fleshy body, there are spikes on its back, too. And, like, you see, like, iron rings on some of its necks to protect its, like, weak spots, right? See, like, thick, like, iron armor, like, around the base of its necks to prevent them from being, like, cut off, right? Like you were able to do to it. Like, the URL has, uh, done something, something to their, one of their favorite beasties or something. Uh, and at that, the Emperor's going to just shout out, Die. And they pluck another string, and you see like slicing through the air, like invisible strands of magic that cut off every single head, despite these improvements. All eight of them just fly off, and the face seal are spurting blood from like eight stumps, like sort of like flails around, like kicking up dust, like gouging out like a sapphire pillar, and then it like falls onto its back and starts twitching as like black blood streams out of its bloodied stumps. And now we go to Oka. Oka, out in the garden, you've just used, you've pulled your, your blood down into these shards and have attacked the Paragon Killer. And they've taken it. And you see now these like little, like almost like porcupine, like quills sticking out of their front and back, these like thin blood spikes as they like stagger there. And 
they cough and you see some blood dribble down from the seam between their mask and their chin and starts dribbling down the front of their black armor as they stagger. It's going to be their turn next because I think you just went uh, and they are going to say to you, you, I have to admit, you are a uh, lot stronger than I initially gave you credit for. Yeah. That's what happens when you don't wait in the fucking shadows. Why don't you take your mask off so we can do this face to face? And that's when you hear like a like indistinct voice, a feminine voice. I think you're too far away to hear the exact words crackle uh, off of the Paragon Killer's wrist as they like lift it up. And you sort of see like a glowing red eye sigil, like glow through the fabric of their armor. It seems to be almost like a walkie talkie or something. Can I try to hear it? Yeah. Why don't you make a perception check? Does a 26 do it? Yes, you hear the feminine voice of Kilohana crackle outward and say, Tarnak, I have Galtanger. He's on the balcony. Let me know when the emperor is done. And it crackles out of existence. And the paragon killer, bleeding, like battered back against the ropes, lowers their gloved hand and then raises their other hand to the back of their hood. They pull it down. They pull the hood down to reveal these long elven ears that are just pure obsidian peeking through the hood. Uh, and this like, I think like ruffled kind of like marbled like hair, short hair cut on top. And then they reach their other hand up and they take the mask off. And you see Tarnak, uh, the striking elf sculptor, skin like black marble, sort of run through with veins of gold and white. They're standing there panting the sculptor at the words coming out of their their arm oka's eyes flick for half a second toward the throne room where i think like now the cacophony of screams oka was on some level expecting this there is still a tiny bit of fear when the like the lance of fear like kind of cuts through this like undercurrent of steady rage i have galtanger Oka's like, okay, fuck. And then they pull back and they nod, I think. Like the pieces coming together. You know, Tarnak, I've never wanted to kill a friend. But I don't think we were ever friends. So I'm not going to be that sorry. <laughs> you know, I had a name before the cataclysm. Before, uh, all of this. And Tarnok's kind of, like, awkward affectation, like, all of that, you realize now, was like a ruse. Like, they don't look awkward at all anymore. They seem, like, completely in their element, just drenched in blood looking at you in this moment. They called me the Sculptor. Why don't you roll a history check? 29. Holy fuck. Okay. You've heard of the Sculptor. Uh, even before you were exiled. Uh, I think you read about it probably in like current news. Uh, and you probably have heard about it up until the Cataclysm, uh, until news of the sculptors kind of like went down. Uh, which is the moniker given by various Andakin authorities to a like, I think Andake's one and only like serial killer. Uh, and they were, they were a serial killer who specifically targeted people in positions of power. Uh, and like after their victims were murdered, they would position their bodies in these like beautiful sculptures that mocked who they were in real life. 
so I think maybe like you get like a phantom ghost pain from like your wing, like that tendon being perfectly chiseled out when you were attacked by Tarlock like originally, uh, because looking at them now, they're sort of like tossing the hammer from hand to hand, sort of breathing kind of haggardly. They are a sculptor. They have a perfect anatomical understanding of the person's body, right? Of like people's bodies. Uh, so look back at you and Tarlock says, I'm afraid I'm not the one who's going to be dying tonight, Oka. I have one directive and one directive only, which is to kill you now. And you know what I've always said to things like fate? Go fuck yourself. Uh, the last thing Tarnak's gonna do on their turn is because you're, you've really got them against the ropes. They pant heavily. They bring their wrists back up to their mouth. Um, and they, like, bite down uh, as they sort of say, like, uh, Mother, I need help. And they bite down. And as, like, uh, yeah, as you see, like, some blood spurt out, uh, uh, their body kind of cracks and contorts a little. Uh, as you see, like, the blood spikes that were, like, in their chest, like, crack off. Uh, as, like, the blood on their body seems to suck itself, like, back into the wounds. And they seem to, like, contort and, like, kind of distend and get bit and like a little bit more muscular like this like weird like flesh monster magic like coming over their body as they crack snap right you hear like bones like crunch as they uh like their like leather armor rips as they get maybe just like uh, a degree bigger and buffer right uh and when they look back up you see that both of their eyes are like pure red it's the same kind of like red eye that you have seen in your nightmares for like almost a year now, continuously. And then Tarnok says with their voice almost like double layered with this kind of like void swirling empty voice you've only heard a few times before. One of which the first time was when uh, back in the court, uh, that thing jumped into your soul and the Vanash ate it, right? Like on the bridge. Uh, that's the only other time I think you've heard a voice like this undercurrent under Tarnok's voice go. <laughs> my, my, you have gotten stronger. Well, this time, I won't flee. And Tarnak's gonna run at you. Your turn, Oka. What do you do? What do I do indeed? Um, okay, bonus action start off with, uh, I think, you know what? I said that they had had a very collected rage before. And I think now, uh, as Tarnok summons the stranger, Oka also is like, fine, two can play at that game. Uh, and Vinash just comes poof, 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 bubbling like up and out. Uh, and I will activate my right of storm on my crimson right weapon. Uh, so just as a bonus action, we're going to start there. Uh, and Oka fucking runs to meet them. I think uh, like they still have two uh, animate bloods. And before we clash, I think uh, I'm going to let one animate blood go as my first attack. So that it's going to be another deck save for you. Okay. That is a natural one. <laughs> so does that mean I roll double damage? Yes. Okay. Uh, I think I might need to use a dice roller for this because this is 12d6 necrotic damage. That is 43 points of necrotic damage uh, as more... I think it's like blood and bone, like up again from the ground as Oka just like rips it, like rips it up from the ground and it like rains down on them again. 
Uh, and then the second one, as they like clash, is going to be like another swipe with uh, Culling Edge. So I'll make an attack roll for that. Which is a natural fucking 20, motherfuckers! Let's fucking go! I'm sorry. <laughs> Bitch, you thought! Let's go! How? Uh, <laughs> is this, okay, okay. Okay, is this lethal or non-lethal? This is lethal. This is lethal. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, can I do... Uh, can I get a narrative bonus? Narrative boon? So roll double dice. Uh, roll double dice? Yes, roll double dice first, and then you get a narrative bonus. Yes. Okay, so that's another 43 points of slashing damage. And let's do five points of fire. Nine points of lightning. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, how do you kill Tarnok? Is the, so where's the golden chisel? Give me the golden chisel. Where is it? The golden chisel has been lodged into the hawthorn tree behind you this entire time. Okay, so the blood rains down. Oka fucking, like, they like look like they are running to meet Tarnok. Uh, and I think just the same as they did, uh, like, in their house. Like, as they, like, are almost about to slash, Oka, like, uses their, their uh, blade and, like, brings it, like... But they're doing a baseball slide at the same time through Tarnok's legs. They do like a slice, like right, like down the middle of their chest. Uh, as um, Tarnok goes past them, they're gonna stand up, turn around, and push them and impale them on the golden, uh, on the golden chisel that's still in the hawthorn tree. And they just like shove both of their shoulders right through the center of their chest, right where they got them the first time. Yep. There's like a crunching noise and a spurt of blood. <laughs> as Tarnak gets impaled against their own chisel. Looking down at this like golden spike sticking out of their chest, you see their soul and their blood commingle and leech on to the chisel because this was the very same kind of chisel that took a part of your soul out. And now that it's in their body, their soul begins to leech onto it. So you see like a black veins begin to sort of swirl itself up from the bloodied base of this chisel and like all the way deeper into the wound so you can't see. And the black veins sort of like pulsate against like the metallic surface of the chisel. And like Tarnok's just standing there sort of like in their dying moments, grunting, groaning in pain. They raise their crimson eyes to meet your gaze. And I think in a mirror image of how Tarnok almost killed them the first time, Oka comes over to the base of this tree and they lean in. Hi. My name is Oka Hyun of Seong and I'm a fucking paragon. And Tarnok look, making direct eye contact with you. They like open their mouth like they want to say something. But then you see like the life fade from their eyes, right? As their eyes sort of go flat. And they just stop moving. And we are going to cut back in. <laughs> We're gonna cut back into the hall. Okay, back into the throne room. Oh wow, Oka's first murder. Uh, they were a serial killer. Like not only were they the parent, they were also a, they how dare you, Oka? How dare you kill the serial killer? No, uh, you're just as bad as them. Uh, no, so we, just kidding. That was amazing and so epic. I'd give you so much inspiration, but you're already full. Uh, we are gonna cut back into the throne room. On, do we?
Dewey invisible you are skedaddling your way through this throne room dodging between monsters at attacking people guards fighting back against monsters the freaking emperor has like her paragon weapon out and is like bing. you see her she's sort of flinging like her uh, arms forward and just like like completely just destroying monsters as they leap up at her and up like at her people right she's just ripping them apart with these like threads of magic coming out of her out of her gutian uh and we are going to actually see See, uh, we see Duchess Starwing. I think you like see her kind of like step into your way uh, as she's sort of like stepping backward, like her like black robes billowing as you see like the same kind of like big chicken boy, right? Like at Tarnak and Hilohan is like, there are three of them <sighs> like snarling and drooling and like advancing upon her, right? They're like big throats bulging with that like toxic, noxious gas and liquid. And Duchess Rhyme Starwing, huh, she like draws like one arm up to her nose and just goes, you reek. And she's going to just sort of fling like one arm out and you hear a massive groaning noise as uh, roots punch out of the ground. Like these swirling spiked roots punch out of the ground. One poof, impales uh, one of the big chicken boys. Another one uh, wraps up another chicken boy and just like, crushes it into goo. And like a third one lances in all directions through like the final chicken boy and then pulls it, pulls all three chicken boys against the ground and splatters them onto goo. Uh, and you swear you hear like a raven caw, like as she does that, right? But actually as you hear the raven caw, you turn and you see Rev sort of like like swirling out of like nothingness. Like she also, she had also maybe gone invisible. Like you see a flutter of like raven feathers like in the air as she like slices down through the air with Grim and she sweeps it across and just sort of severs the heads off of like two of these like tooth spitting monsters, right? And they're like bristling tooth bodies like clatter onto the ground and like leech black blood as she lands on the dais and looks around frantically. V, V. Dewey, what do you do? I think Rev hears a disembodied voice because Dewey's still invisible, and it just goes, "Where, where did your girlfriend go? What spell does she have to just dis disappear?" Dewey, is that where are you? Show yourself. And she's like covered in monster blood. You know what I mean? She's like panting. There's like some sweat coming down like the side of her face. Like she's like holding Grim. Like her. <laughs> Her biceps are bulging. Uh, she's looking. I mean, there has to be fan service in the middle of this hot fight looking around for you. Uh, v can cast basically any spell she wants, but the kind, the exact spells she casts are not up to her. Where are you? I'm invisible. Don't worry about me. Invi invisible? Dewey, we need your help. The there are monsters everywhere. Yeah, I can see that. What sort of monsters are around Dewey? You're, I think you're calling up to the dais, and I think like all around you, you hear like, <laughs> and you realize that you have been surrounded by like a swarm, like a herd of chicken boys. Like they're all like maybe, you see like they're like kind of like tiny little nostrils flaring as maybe like they could smell you, but they can't see you. And they're sort of all everywhere, like tiny little like vel velociraptors, like on, on the hunt for you. Uh, Dewey, where are you? There's so, mon so many monsters everywhere. I, I can't. I think Dewey's going to actually like shelve his turn because there's so much going on heads are flying v and kilohana his ex-friend just disappeared <gasps> into nowhere tarnak is maybe outside he's gonna like hover in the air like after he saw kilohana and v disappear he sort of diverted his path towards like the door that leads to the garden but he sort of stopped in that next to that doorway 
because he's not sure where where he should be going. Uh, so he's just gonna okay. like hover in the air, sort of like away from the chicken boys. I like that. Yeah, and you see Rev just sort of shouting like Dewey, Dewey, where V, V, and on Rev shouting V, like we hear her voice like ring out in an echo, right into nothingness as like poof, everything goes black. And V. So the details of the plane shift spell, eh? Uh, do you get to control where you go, or is it random? I can choose the plane of existence, but um, where in that plane is random? What was the plane you were trying to shunt Kilohana to? Well, we don't really have a whole lot of planes currently. We're kind of severed from a lot, so uh, I think there's only one option, and it's probably not a good place. Which one were you em envisioning in your brain? You know, I think V was just trying to go to the beyond, but, like, I don't think V was really thinking about it at that point. I think <laughs> the more random, the better is what I'm trying to get at. I don't think V cared that much. Maybe you weren't even thinking. You just cast a spell and you didn't have a plane in mind. Okay. You're like, maybe the beyond, but who knows? You are swirling in darkness, V. You feel like you're falling, or maybe you're floating, or maybe you're flying, or maybe you're dead. Or maybe you're not dead, or maybe you're in the space between life and death. It's impossible to tell. You're floating suspended in emptiness. There's absolutely nothing around you. It's not even the black vacuum of space. It's the exact absence of matter. The only thing you can perceive is your own body. Look down, see yourself, maybe? Like you see yourself glowing, almost, like you have presence amidst all this absence see so your own like like white hair floating in like curls around you and in front of you you see also floating her like arms spread out is kilohana <laughs> what was that v plane shift don't you know we're cut off from all the other planes where do you think we'll go with no destination in mind I figure this is as good of a spot as any. I mean, you know, it's, it's my first time traveling from plane to plane. I was really just expecting it to be a one-seat, one-person trip. I didn't... You know, of all the other paragons I could have faced off against, I'm glad I faced off against the paragon of Scott and Nectus. Because here's the thing about risk and reward. Sometimes the risk you take pays off. But the other times it doesn't. Maybe your last... And as she sort of like throws her hands outward, you see eyes. All around you in the darkness, red eyes just open. Opening, 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 all around you. You sent us to the perfect place for me, V. You thought you'd expel me to some absence of space. But little did you know that absence of space is exactly where we thrive. This is our domain. Welcome, V, as the first living, real visitor to the Nothing Plane. Make an intelligence saving throw. Fifteen. Fifteen going on seventeen. That is not enough. Uh, so you are... <laughs> You are going to take, uh, how, what's your HP at? 76. Okay. The eyes around you, all around you glow. Uh, and they begin to sort of, like, vibrate with this, like, darkly pulsing crimson energy. Uh, and it's sort of like you're in a microwave, V. 
uh, as you see, like, parts of your body begin to float up off of yourself and, like, disintegrate, right? Uh, as, like, the eyes begin to glow and vibrate all around you. And Kilohana's, like, arms are just outstretched and she's just laughing. Uh, you see, like, your own, like, your, like, your leg and your kneecap just sort of, like, float up. Not in, like, a fleshy way, but just in almost like you're, like, an animated character. And you're sort of being just scrubbed out of existence a little bit. Right? Like you're a watercolor painting and an artist is pouring water over you and you're just starting to slop off the page. Uh, and you see yourself beginning to fade before your very eyes and it doesn't even hurt, right? You're just sort of being written out of the algorithm here. Scod and Nectus inside you bubble up. They are resisting this. They are resisting the hell out of this. And you sort of hear, like, feel both of these gods roiling inside you. Like, coiling, coiling, coiling all around you as you see, like, bits of, like, your own, like, reality be, like, like, catch. Almost like bugs suspended in amber. Like, they don't fade anymore. They just sort of catch around you. And, like, Kilohana, like, tilts her head to the side and she says, Ha! Interesting. Ha! So the gods are stronger than I thought. And she sort of curls her hands into fists. And like that feeling of discorporation intensifies, but so does the feeling of resistance within you. V, I need you to make just a straight D20 roll. Yeah, you know what? Fuck it, autocrit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. V, why don't you tell me, what does it look like as Scott and Nectus are able to push the stranger's influence off of you? So yeah, I think, um these like parts that were like starting to drift away suddenly like you see like just purple threads green threads going from part to part and it's just like seeing a like when you pull on you know a thread when you when you're sewing something up and you pull it together and they just tighten together and but like all the now there's like these little the seams all around V and they're glowing purple green purple green and you just envelops V's whole body, and it's almost like fireball, just boom, this huge, glowing, bright light. It turns white because it's so bright. And then you just, first you see V sort of form in the center of this bright light, and then the rest of the light goes back, and we're just like talking more and more back into just blackness. Yeah, like the eyes, I think, begin to fade out. I think like away from like you, like the crimson begins to dim, and Kilohan is like looking like, no. No, oh, but we were so close, mother. We were so close to getting this one. I just need a little bit more. And she's like trying to reach toward you. Uh, but Scott and Nectus are like pulling you the fuck out of there. They're like, nope, 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 nope. They're noping the hell out of there. They're pulling with like these like threads of fate, like twining around your soul, like the weave fighting against this absence of weave all around you. And you feel yourself being sucked down, almost like you're being sucked through a pinhole back toward the now. Um, but you feel Scott and Nectus inside you fighting. You hear Nectus go, no, let her go, let her go. We have to live to fight another day. But you hear Scott go, no, fuck that bitch. And Scott is using the second autocrit to pull Kilohana from the empty plane back into the now as we flash back to the throne room and poof. You, V, and Kilohana, bam, snap back into existence poof, and land on top of the dais. And Kilohana staggers, huh, what? But I, as she looks around like she wasn't expecting to come back here. Oh, oh my. Well, look at that. And I think V is going to put an arm around Kilohana and look out at all this chaos. <sighs> so you're the one responsible for the courtyard of 
Well, and uh, V's going to give a little kiss on the cheek and cast Fireball enveloping <laughs> the two of them. At level five. Okay, that's a deck save, right? You're also going to take the damage, right? Yep. So I guess I have to do a deck save. Luckily, that's... Yeah. Uh, 16... Oh, Matt won, baby. <laughs> no, I... Wait, wait. No, shit. I don't have... We have oh, collective inspiration. Yeah, I'm going to use collective inspiration. I also have luck points. Why am I not using my <laughs> luck points? But... Uh, okay. No, that's... Um, that's a 22. That's well... Okay, you save. She does not save. So you take half damage and she takes full. Okay, and I am going to use uh, a sorcery point to re-roll as many dice up to my charisma modifier, which is up to four. I'm just going to re-roll these three here. Okay, um, so let's see. We got... Let me just arrange this in a way that I can... What are you? You're one of these. Okay, so we've got 18 plus 10 is 28... 32, 36, 40, 43 points of fire damage. There is a massive explosion of heat and noise as just a swirling ball of fire erupts from the point of contact of your mouth on her cheek. Rev is also there, uh, but I think she's, um, I think she's within range uh, of the fireball as well. she, oh, she gets an out 20. She's good. Uh, she, yeah, yeah, she gets an out 20. Uh, and poof, this, these flames erupt outward, and you hear Kilohana scream. Like, right next to your ear, you just hear her scream in agony as, like, fire just rips through the air and, like, poof, it licks at her flesh. And when it dies down, <sighs> you see that her, like, incandescent bronze skin is scorched, almost like she's, like, made of metal. Right? And like some of the skin has still peeled off of her, almost like a scorpion's tail, right? Like coming off of the back, like f- f- forming like these sharp pincer points at the end, <sighs> revealing this like swirling void flesh underneath. <sighs> you, you little. And she is going to sweep her hand out, and her like uh, own skin is gonna rake across your front. And you're going to take an additional... Well, okay, make, make a deck save. Make a deck save first. So we don't have the auto crit right now? Or we have another one? No, auto-crit? we do not. Okay, I'm going to use a luck point. Yeah, luck, okay. luck point. Still just a nine. Nine. A nine total? Okay, you are going to take... Ooh, you're going to take... Uh, not, not too much. Uh, 11 points of necrotic damage, actually. Uh, and three points of slashing damage. As, like, the, like, big raked pincer claw thing like comes down and just sort of rakes you across the front. <sighs> She's going to stagger backward a little bit and turn to look at the changing tide of battle. The monsters are mostly being gutted. Uh, it's just sort of like a couple, you know, couple of beasties left. There's the face dealer that Manai is scoring off against. Uh, the thrashing kind of like hiccuping body uh, of the Hydra Flare, which doesn't really do anything. Just tons of chicken boys and the bigger chicken boys all around. Like the spitting teeth things, the like clawing, crawling shadow limbs. But like most of them are being bought back. And you can sort of sense, V, that just within a couple of minutes, the fight will be won. Losses on both sides, but the fight will be won in the end of the day. Kilohana also senses this. <laughs> oh. Oh my. Fee. And she turns back to you. And I think you're also scorched from your own spell. Fasanti. Darling. 
There's no point to this. Any of this. Existence, I mean. You live, you lose, you die. Why did Mahu take my son from me? Why did you take my husband from me? Pain and suffering are... Shrug shrugs. Arbitrary. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. There's no greater meaning to any of this, is there? You know, you make a lot of meaning yourself. You have to look at the fact your husband, your ex-husband is dead because of some choices he made with the chrysalis, just like you are going to be dead too because of your connection to the chrysalis. <laughs> no. You see, V, I understand something that I don't think any of you so-called paragons chosen by destiny do. Which is that no matter how hard you struggle, no matter how much the fates favor you, at the end, oblivion comes for us all. You know, that may be true, but... You know, we've got the Raven Queen, we've got places to be, and right now, you and your people have destroyed what happens to us when we die. And so you can send a little message back to Adam that I'm coming for him. And when I do, he is going to burn so bright into nothingness. <laughs> you speak like someone in love. What can I say? V Nakshirzo loves everybody. Everyone's a good friend of V, especially people like Adam. Adam. I don't report to Adam, Vasanti. Adam reports to me. So in the meantime, let's just... And she like puts her hands out. Unravel. And on that phrase, all of the beasties in the room, every single monster stops moving. And they slough off into like these like puddles of goo that you sort of saw like Dr. Ting sort of invert and like slough off into. But as soon as they slough onto the ground, they run like rivers moving backward through the hall, like this gooey, like fleshy puddles, like like running through the hall, like like rivers of like flesh and void and blood and bone and discorporated organ, just sliding up like the, the stairs of the dais and like up toward Kilohana, right? Like into her, they go up her legs sort of and like they go into, into her body, I think like through her mouth. And she's like sucking all this power in. Uh, and all of you feel the sort of the weave that was sort of like tense and quivering around her snap as she snaps her head back down on like the final bits of this like flesh coming into her. <sighs> and when she lets this out, this exhalation, all of you see eyes just <laughs> open on her arms, her neck, her face, and her legs. And we are on that gonna go to, I think we're gonna go to Manaya, who is squared up against the face dealer. Manaya, you see all this happen. The face dealer has 
discorporated as well into a fleshy puddle and I think like has like streamed past your legs, you know? And it like reverses and goes up to the dais. What do you do? Manaya was about to strike with her hammer at one of the the faces with apparently the with what looked like the intent of just systematically cutting off every face and every leg. At this she stops uh, and her eyes follow uh, the the almost river of goop as it swirls past her legs harmlessly. <laughs> because you asked, make a con save. 23. 23, that is not sufficient. You're going to take 12 points of poison damage and another 16 points of acid damage. And her eyes stop glowing as she follows this uh, river. And she's going to bend her legs and leaves are going to swirl from nothing up her boots, up her legs as she's going to cast uh, Expeditious Retreat to retreat in the forward direction. Okay, you're running toward, toward the dais. Okay. Uh, on your way, you're like holding your uh, axe, right? Your leaf cape swirling. You just hear the the princess sort of like uh, shouting ambiently, I think, in your soul, like uh, like pumping through with adrenaline, like magic just like swirling all around you as you approach the dais. Anything else you do, Manaya? I just saw that Expedition Retreat is a bonus action. So bonus action to cast that and then to dash up. Um, am I close enough to do anything? Uh, I don't know if you are. I think with uh, with dashing, you'll get right to the base. Uh, of of the dais, yeah. She's gonna get there, and then she's gonna throw her axe towards Kilohana. Okay, make a ranged uh, attack roll. Fifteen. That does not hit, but you can roll damage as usual. She'll just get a reaction. Fifteen damage. Where uh, the axe whirls through the air and lodges into like one shoulder. <sighs> she sort of like spins, and you see like all of those open crimson eyes turn, and their irises all fix on you. <sighs> that, my darling, was a mistake. You're not even a realized paragon yet. And you see like all of the crimson eyes, I think like on her collarbone begin to glow. Uh, and I need you to make a con save. Eight plus seven is what, 15? Mm, that is not quite sufficient. I'll use an inspiration. Okay. I got the same fucking thing. Can I use my flash of genius? Uh, yeah, you can, you can. Yeah, yeah, Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, that's a plus three. 18 just misses uh, as well. It's so it's so close. It's so close to the DC, but it just misses. And now you know it's probably a 19 or a 20. Uh, you are going to take 10 points of necrotic damage from one eye laser that shoots out. Uh, you see like a like a black like beam of light like shoot from her shoulder and just zap into you. Uh, and that is going to be 11. And you're going to take ooh, another 10 points of cold damage as another one on her like other shoulder widens and like a beam of like crystal blue light shoots out and slams against your other shoulder. And like uh, frost begins to rhyme across your body. Uh, yeah, so that is a 21 total. 21 total. Oh, 21? Where yes. did the one come from? You said 10 for both. I think, did I say 10 for both? Okay, yeah. sorry. Then it's that is 20. I thought I said 11 for one. What okay. am I missing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and that is going to be your turn. And now we go to Oka. Oka, we cut to you in the garden, I think looking at like Tarnok's like slumped corpse, speared against the tree with their own chisel in their chest. And like, you know some fuck shit's happening like indoors. Like there's shit going on. What do you do? Can we actually say that at the top of my turn, uh, Oka will have collected the golden chisel. Also their golden chisel, if it was on Tarnok's body. Uh, and they would also have the bronze mask 
of the Paragon Killer in their hand. Okay. Can we say that I can like just scurry my way over to the the throne room? Yes, you can. So what do you do? I think all the way on the other side, like it's Oka. You know, they've like, as people are still like running and screaming out, right? They're like coming up the steps on the opposite side. Uh, and they have the mask in one hand and the golden chisel, I think still with Tarnok's soul coiled around it, right? Like, and did I find mine? Yes, you did. Within the folds of Tarnok's cloak, you would have found another golden chisel brimming with like even brighter golden vein coiled around it. That sort of like thrums and hums in like a resonant tone when you pick it up. Something about it feels uh, awfully familiar to you. Yeah, I know what it is. Thank you. That's my soul. Uh, I take that. I take both of them and they're kind of like, I guess like pencils, right? Like uh, like in, in between Oka's knuckles and they have the, the mask in the other hand, right? And they're kind of like are like coming up the stairs, I think still brimming with this like heavy, heavy, heavy presence and energy. And as soon as they get in and like take in the scene, right? Kilohana's discorporating, incorporating beam eye attacks, right? Uh, and they're just gonna try to like hold the mask up, right? For her to see with all of those fucking eyes. And they just kind of hold it up at the, all the way at the other end of the throne room. All of those eyes flick up from Manaya and it'll fix onto you. And Kilohana sees the mask, sees the two chisels, and she lets out a cry. <sighs> you! Hey. Dewey, you have some fucked up friends. I will use my Radiant Soul uh, for the wings to come busting out of Oka's back. Uh, as they like take off uh, from the other end of the uh, other end of the throne room and start to fly towards Kilohana. Because this is a new phase of combat, I want to re-roll initiative here uh, at the at the top slash bottom of our order. So why don't you all roll initiative again? Sixteen for V. Nineteen for Oka. Seven. Okay, seven for Dewey. Eighteen for Manaya. Does Dewey get to go first because he shelved his turn, though? Yes, yes, you do. Yeah, you, you get you get a turn at the top. So, okay, uh, it will be Dewey first. <laughs> I think uh, as Oka yells into the vo- into the space, Dewey, your friends are fucked up, and then the rings come out. One of these wings smacks into invisible Dewey floating in the middle of the doorway, and it sends him, I think, flying uh, at Kilohana. Because these come out with some force, right? And yes, yes. In the middle of the air, there's no... There's just Oka is raging, yeah. Yeah. Oka's raging. Uh, so he gets smacked towards Kilohana. And this whole time, he's been, like, floating in midair, looking through his pockets on, like, what he could possibly use against this monstrosity of a person. And so you see he's got this, like, sleeve glove that's part of his armor that Tonga made him. And as he tumbles in the air and rolls, I think, to... The top of the dais at Kilohana's feet, he's going to just, uh, you see him form a fist, and as he does that, some of the metal parts on the thing move, and you see exposed wiring uh, that's sparking with electricity, and he just, he goes for a punch to Kilohana's face. Okay, make an attack roll. Does it have advantage because her body is made of metal? Just wondering. Is her body made of metal? Uh... It is conductive, 
So is this like a shocking grasp situation? It is a thunder gauntlet situation. You know what? Why not? For for zest, why not? It has it has advantage. Why not? I'm going to use my uh, flash of genius because I don't think 19 is going to hit. Okay. Uh, so is 22 going to hit? Uh, no, but roll damage. Fuck. Okay. She'll get a reaction. Okay, that's fine. That's eight points of thunder damage. Okay. Do you say anything or like, what does it look like as you're like punching her? I don't think you've seen Dewey mad very often, but you hear him say, this is what you do with your, with your pain. And he punches her and she will have disadvantage on attack rolls against anyone but me until the start of my next turn. Nice. Okay. Yeah. You punch her in the face. And she like, I think like she was floating a little bit, but she like, like bounces backward uh, as like your fist connects with her jaw and like sparks fly off. She like turns back around and like all of those dozen eyes on her body are now like fixed on you with like her own skin peeling off her body, forming those like sharp spikes, like arched over her back. Um, And she says to you, Dewey, Cardew. You know, for a minute there, I really did consider you a friend. That's why I would have given you a choice, and I still will. Can't you see that all life is, is suffering? That's all there is. You live, you suffer, you die. The only kind of peace that there is in this wretched world is oblivion. Mother has shown me that, and she'll show it to all of you, too. Maybe all you know is suffering. Maybe all I will know is suffering. But you don't get to make that choice for everyone else. (laughs) Don't I? You're ordained by the gods to make choices for people on Endake. Why can I not also be ordained by an entity greater even than the Eight? Is she referring to... The chrysalis? Why don't you make a, like, I guess that would just be a straight up intelligence check. Yeah. See if you can put some puzzle pieces together. Intelligence, insight, let's say. Do you have proficiency in insight? Uh, no, but 22. 22. Ooh, okay. She is referring to the stranger. Okay. The entity that you keep seeing in your nightmares, but whether or not the stranger is the chrysalis or the exact nature of the relationship between the chrysalis and the stranger is still unknown to you. But you get the feeling that Kilohana knows the exact nature of that relationship. So if you pushed her a little bit harder, you might be able to get those details from her. Who? <laughs> no, please, please clear something up for me. Who is giving you this power to make choices for other people? <laughs> well. You've seen them in your nightmares, haven't you? Happened with the paragons of yore as well. It appears that your gods like to warn you when they think danger is coming. But I don't see Mother as dangerous. I see her as salvation. So do the children of the Chrysalis. And what about the URL, then? They're all just different branches of the same workers for Mother? Are the Paragons of the Eight not just different arms of the same beast? Uh, I think Oka lands, you know, at the base of the dais, which they're pissed the fuck off that she's not even up there, first of all. Uh, And they come striding up, right? Uh, And they have the mask still, and they kind of dash it down, like, at her feet, you know? 
You don't know anything about pain. You don't get to tell me what pain is. You don't get to tell me that my pain is worth nothing. You don't get to tell me that there is <laughs> anything other than oblivion. Because fuck you. You don't think I know? It hurts to be alive. It hurts to change. It fucking hurts to live. But you know what's worth it? Sunrise. The stars. The people you love looking at you. Like they know you and they see you. Just because you don't see that doesn't mean that this world isn't worth defending. You don't know pain now, but you're about to. <laughs> you, all of you, live in a state of cognitive dissonance, don't you? You think that all of this is worth it just because of what? A little bit of sunrise. The little bit of grace Galtanger deigns to throw upon a starving beggar before he dies. No. I know the only way out of this hell is deeper into it. And she's gonna like begin to like, I think like float up like off of the ground even more. And at this point, like the, every everyone else uh, in the hall who have been fighting monsters who are no longer fighting monsters because the monsters have discorporated have like turned and are facing the dais as well. And like are like rushing up toward it to like join the fight. But the emperor actually raises a hand and we see this like surge of guards and dignitaries and soldiers just sort of come to a halt. The Emperor like looks up at you, Oka, and just sort of like nods. That's not your fucking chair. And I am gonna try to summon Dream Hunter. What does it look like? The same way that they kind of have been like throwing their blood weapon up and catching it, Oka just like, their body moves without thinking. They know what they're doing. And they know they deserve it for the first fucking time in their life and they reach out and they take it in their hand. I think Dream Hunter flies out of the Emperor's sheath. Uh, it was strapped to your mother father's waist and it boom, flies through the air, this like beautiful silver blade. And we see each of the runes on the blade, bing, 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 like light up eight and fly toward you and you grab the emerald hilt of Dream Hunter. Power word kill, bitch. Well, she is pretty weakened, okay? Make an attack roll with Dream Hunter. I have two inspiration. I'm going to use one. 27. That, for the first time and the last time, hits her AC. So what does it look like as you slash down with Dream Hunter and cast Power Word Kill? It looks like Destiny. As Oka, like, brings it down. Right through her soul. Yep. And I think each of the eight glowing runes, like all eight of them, just like the light radiates outward and explodes off of the blade because you expend all uses uh, of all of the runes to cast power word kill uh, with Dream Hunter. And you slash down at her chest. <gasps> she gasps inward, right? As I think all of us see like this massive slash just explode outward from Kilohana's chest. And Oka, because you're up there, you're right up on her. You see her soul shatter open. Uh, under under Dream Hunter's blade, and she goes, oh. 
And like the last thing, I don't think she makes a single noise, right? But I think we as the audience, we sort of draw in close to Kilohana's like bronze face as her like eyes go wide. And as like the last bit of light begins to like fade away from her like bright glowing eyes, we just sort of see like reflected in them, like a vision of like Orhan Ting, Dr. Ting, right? Like holding like their newborn son, like and laughing as this final memory like flutters across Kilohana's face. <sighs> and she dies. Bam! Like her body crumples onto the ground and like like the eyes close on her, right? And she just slumps. And like silence. I think like a ringing note of silence just settles over the hall. And Oka's shoulders like heave once, twice from killing two people for the first time in their life in the same day. And they turn like down the dais and they look at their mother-father. And the Emperor, I think maybe for the first time in your life that you can remember, smiles at you <laughs> and laughs with a note of genuine pride in her voice. And I think they look back out over the assembled crowd and the words are quiet. It's done. It's done. Podcast editing is by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Azura, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffesis, and Target.